to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. And uh, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Hallelujah. Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 3. Let me get there. I'm not even there yet. Um, well, I've been looking at, at my screen. I'm really going to get up there. Be sure to start my clock, you know. Start my clock. Hallelujah. All right. You got it? Okay, let's read together. Ready, read. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Notice again, we're talking about how we're going to run this race with endurance. Verse 3 says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. I want to talk today on the subject, how to endure in a hostile environment. How to endure in a hostile environment. Father, thank you so much today for giving us the word. I pray, Father, that you give me divine utterance to speak things I've not heard. Give me divine unction, Lord, to move in ways I have not seen. And I ask that your people have hearing ears, seeing eyes, Lord, receiving hearts, that the seed of the word may fall upon and, and on good soil, good ground, and produce what you sent it to produce, and accomplish the things in our lives that you want the word to accomplish. God, have your way in us today. We receive correction. We receive direction. God, speak to us from heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen and amen. How to endure in a hostile environment. Hallelujah. As, as we are followers of Jesus Christ, uh, it's, it's uh, frustrating, to say the least, to see how far our country has drifted from its biblical foundation. What was once a thriving Christian nation has become a melting pot of debauchery and moral depravity. Y'all might have to turn me up. They can't hear me because they're not saying anything. Y'all heard me? Okay. I just want to make sure I'm in the right church today. I mean, if you look around, you know I'm telling the truth. Debauchery, moral depravity. The people in this nation who are celebrating sin celebrating abomination, but railing against Christian values. They defend sexually explicit books in the classrooms, but denounce prayer on the football field. We're living in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation and a wicked and perverse nation. Even upon us now, right here in our city, they have been celebrating all month, but in particular had the grand parade last night and still celebrating in the downtown and Central Avenue area the sin of homosexuality, lesbianism, 
transgenderism, pedophilia, celebrating it as if it is something to be noted. And I, I think we ought to declare that this year was the last one. We live in a hostile environment because if you were to say something about what you see, you'd be ostracized, castigated, lose your job, family wouldn't talk to you anymore, unfollow you on Facebook. And yet many Christians aren't willing to be, to put themselves at that kind of risk because most Christians are more concerned about how many followers and fans they have and how many invitations they can get to happy hour and reunions than they are about pleasing Almighty God. We're, we're in, a, in, in a time where you can play hip-hop music, the raunchiest hip-hop music through the mall, but Chick-fil-A gets sued for playing Christian music in its own store. If you don't think we're in a hostile environment, you better open your eyes. In fact, let me tell you something. If it doesn't feel hostile to you, it means you're on the wrong side of the wall. I say it again. If it doesn't feel hostile to you, it's because you might be on the wrong side of the wall. We better wake up and realize that we are not, we are not on a love boat. We're on a battleship. We're on a battleship. It, it, it pains me, Pastor, to see what, what I, I, I saw. I saw some videos and some photos yesterday and last night and, and just, just seeing what's, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, they, one of the groups was marching and their, their, their marching uh, uh, slogan was, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. We're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. Now, when I've been telling you that, and you think, well, that's just pastor talking. But when they tell you that, believe them. They mean what they say. They are coming for your children. I told my wife years ago, God showed me that in a vision one night. I had a vision, a dream, and God showed me I was walking with my son. Jonathan had to be probably about three or four years old at that time uh, in the dream, and I had, a, had him on, in, in one hand, and I had my nephew Saxon in the other hand. Walking down the street, and a whole line full of queer men approached me and approached us, and I, and I put my son and my nephew behind me. I said, don't touch them, and they said, we're coming to get them. And I begin to say to you at that time, they're coming for our children. I saw videos, and this is what's happening across America and across the world, that now in all these queer, queer gay day events, they're having all these, these fun, fun festivities, fun family festivities, where, where they're, they're parading themselves naked and, and inviting the children to be right there, a part of it. I'm going to preach in the house. They have the children engaged in the activities, watching naked men and naked women parading, and they want you to think it's just about freedom of sexuality. No, it's about coming for your children. That, that this is why I'm telling you we got to be careful about these public schools because the public schools are indoctrinating our children. 
to, 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 to take what, what, what they try to normalize, what they have legalized but can never legitimize, and to cause children to visualize it so that pretty soon they can actualize it. Uh, did y'all catch that? Because I, I don't remember what I said. They, 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 they have normalized it in, in, in culture, so it makes it look like this is what this is just the norm. This is it's okay, but you cannot you cannot normalize what God does not normalize, what God does not legitimize. But they want the children now to visualize it in books, in videos, in math class, math and masturbation. This is what's being taught in public schools. And the reason why, see, if, if, it, if it was just people, well, it's just, it's just consensual adults. Leave adults alone to do what they want. If that was the case, fine, go to hell if you want to. Fine, go to hell, let the devil drag your, drag your tail to hell. That's what we're doing, dragging your tail to hell. If that's you, fine. The problem is you're taking that and you're trying to enforce that upon children. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I, this is my message, but I better, I better stay here. Because the issue is not just that we have sodomites, but they're trying to raise catamites. If, if you don't know what that is, let me educate you. Uh, media, media, give me, get on, I know y'all got this new system, try to, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, verse, in fact, verse 9 and 10. I want you to see 1 Corinthians, y'all get it in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10. I want to show you because there's a diabolical scheme, a diabolical issue that's going on. And if you want to be with your, your little, well, I'm just a little quiet. I'm not, let, the, let, them, let them do what they want to do. We're the church. Let them do what they want to do. The devil has, has you over the barrel. He has you over the barrel. Because you don't even realize he's trying to destroy a generation. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10. It says, do you not know that the, unright the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous will not inherit. So there, there's a pastor uh, up in, uh, I just saw the video of the day uh, again. Uh, this pastor in Ohio, uh, I'm going to call his name because he, he, he needs to be corrected. R.A. Vernon. He's a very popular pastor in, in, um, in uh, what city is he in? Not Columbus. He's in Cleveland, Akron. He, he, his, his video, he did a whole video on, uh, are you sure all homosexuals are going, uh, that no homosexuals go to heaven? Yes, I'm sure, because the Bible says so. It says here, do not be deceived, church, neither fornicators, that's sexuality in general, nor idolaters, no idolaters, idol worshipers, nor adulterers, you know that somebody be with somebody else's husband or wife. Nor, nor, well, isn't a sodomite a homosexual? Yes, but no. A sodomite is a man committing sex with another man. A homosexual, if you read the King James, I believe it used the word effeminate. Effeminate is not some, just some soft boy who, you know, he's just not rough and tough. And effeminate, this homosexual, is, you look up in the Greek, it's, you, you'll find the definition of the word catamite. What is a catamite, pastor? A catamite is a child who has been groomed for sex with a sodomite. 
So if you want to sit here and look at me like, don't worry about that. Let them do what they do. No, 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 no. Because Jesus said, if you offend one of the least of these, my little ones. See, I love how y'all looking at me like, I don't care. You don't care, but you're going to have your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, your nephews, your nieces, targets. Come on. Why you don't care? Why you don't care? These catamites are being, they're groomed. They're, they're boys who are groomed for the sexual pleasure of men. I got news for you, and it's been going on in the church a long time. It's gone on in the church a long time. No wonder the world's so wonky because it's gone on in the church a long time. And the Bible says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So no, you can't go to heaven living like that. Well, doesn't God love everybody? Yes, he does, but he'll love you and let you go to hell. Hallelujah. This is a hostile environment where you can wear a pride t-shirt to work, but you can't open your Bible on your desk. And if you don't think you're in a hostile environment, you're on the wrong side of it. And you need to get saved. I said, and you need to get saved. We're in a hostile environment, there's a war going on, and we're actually living in enemy territory. The question is, how do I run this Christian race in an anti-Christian world? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10, in Matthew 10, 22. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. King James says, hated of all men. Hated by all for my name's sake. You'll be what? Hated. You'll be what? Hated. Not loved. If, 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 you're, if you're the grand pastor, the grand bishop, getting invited to all the Grammy Awards, being invited to everybody's inaugural balls, Y'all, y'all I, I, I love it. There's something wrong because the Bible said you'll be hated. The Bible says that the righteous in Proverbs, the righteous are an abomination to the wicked and the wicked are an abomination to the righteous. If all the wicked folk love you, you better check your salvation. But I'm going to copy myself. If all the sinners love you, you better check your salvation. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he said, but he who does what? Endures to the end. Endured. Endure what? All that hate. All that aggression. All of that hostility. You got to endure. Well, Pastor, how do I endure in a hostile environment? How do I endure when the devil's doing everything he can to make me quit? The Bible notes something. I want you to see this in Daniel 7.25 in the King James Version. I want you to see 
this prophetic word that Daniel gives about the Antichrist, the beast that rises. He says this in Daniel 7.25. He says, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. So the Antichrist, when he manifests, his goal is going to be, he's going to talk big against God, but his goal will be to wear out the saints. Well, you say, Pastor, well, okay, I'm not going to be when the Antichrist shows up. Good. I don't plan on being here either. But the Bible says in 1 John 2.18 that even now are there many Antichrists. So even while we're here now, the Antichrist spirit and Antichrist people and Antichrist systems are already operating in this earth. And if the Antichrist agenda is to wear the saints, he's not waiting to after the rapture. He's trying to wear your tail out right now. Pastor, why am I going through? Pastor, why, why am I so weary? Pastor, why am I struggling? It's because you have an adversary who's working hard against you, trying to wear you out, trying to bring every problem, every obstacle, every tribulation, every bit of persecution, every bit of struggle, everything he can, every pain, every bit of suffering, every bit of loss, bringing depression and bringing anxiety, bringing worry and fear while he's trying to wear you out. You ain't got to raise your hand, but anybody ever felt worn out at times? At times you just. Why, Lord. No wonder, no wonder all folks are saying, hold to his hand. Because sometimes that's all you can do is hold. To his hand, God's unchanging hand. Build your hope on things. I'm holding on. We just sang another song. I'm pressing on the upper way. I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. Why? Because the devil's trying to wear you out. And he's good at what he does. And he's persistent in what he does. We know Hebrews 12, 3, back in our New King James Version, this is what Paul, who I believe to be the writer of Hebrews, says to us in verse 3. He says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary in other words, lest you get worn out and discouraged in your soul. Everybody say weary, weary. and discouraged. And discouraged. What, what, what's, what's behind weariness? What, 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 when does weariness set in? Weariness comes when, when you are honestly doing all you know to do. See, I, I, I had to throw that in. I, when you, I, I throw that word honestly in because I get people to call the time, Pastor, I'm doing everything, everything I, I, to do. No, no, you're not doing everything. I can name six things you're not doing that you need to be doing to get your breakthrough. Some of the key ones I won't tell you because you think I'm trying to get something from you. <laughs> well, I prayed. Yeah, but you, 
you, you pray 10 minutes and watch the two-hour movie. So, um, no. It, it, I'm talking about when you honestly are doing all you know, you know to do, and yet it seems like you're still falling behind. Weariness sets in. When you're working, but it feels like you're rolling and going upstream, weariness, tiredness, faintness begins to set in. Galatians 6, 9 in the King James Version says, And let us not be weary. Let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season. We shall reap if we faint not. So weariness comes to keep you from your harvest. You missed it. Let us not be weary in, due, in, in well-doing for in due season we shall reap. So between the time you sowed and the time you reap, the devil's trying to weary you to wear you out so you can't get to your harvest. Tell you that, but you have a harvest coming. If you sowed your seed, there's a harvest waiting on you. The Bible says in, in Genesis 8, 22, uh, that seeds, I mean, harvest will not cease. So if you sowed your seed of prayer, your vow, your financial seed, whatever seed you sowed, there's a harvest. So the devil knows that, and he can't stop the harvest from coming up. Because the Bible says all by the earth, all by itself, the earth produces. But what he can do is wear you out so you can't reap the harvest. It didn't say the harvest wouldn't come. It says so you can't reap the harvest. Y'all missed that. You missed that. Y'all, y'all, man. Lord, that's a, that's a little side note. I'm going to throw this little side note in there for y'all. This little side note. The harvest always comes. If you sowed, the harvest always comes. He said that if you don't get weary, he said you'll reap. He didn't say if you don't get weary, the harvest will come. The harvest is guaranteed. It's automatic. Automatos, automatic. Y'all know Mark 4, 26 to 29. I taught y'all that, Mark 4, 26 to 29. But what the problem is reaping. You're too weary to reap. You're too worn out to reap. Your harvest is guaranteed. Girl, that, that helped me right there. That, that, I, I never saw that like that before. My harvest is guaranteed. It's my reaping that's questionable. Listen, if the harvest don't come, God is a liar. If, my, if the harvest does not come, God is a liar, and he cannot lie. So the problem is not the seed, and the problem is not the harvest. The problem lies in my ability to reap. He says, so don't be weary and well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. You're going to reap if you faint now. Boy, that blessed me right there. I, I'm, I'm going to dig into that later on. Boy, that's, that's good. Hallelujah. So we can't be weary. Romans 16, 20 says, The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. So he said, Let you become weary and discouraged. Discouragement. Well, how, what, what, how do I get discouraged? Why, why do we get discouraged? We get discouraged in a race when others seem to be outrunning us. Especially sinners. Y'all missed that. 
some of y'all get discouraged when other saints outrun you. Some of y'all got discouraged because somebody else got married last year. And I've been in this church longer than you, than longer than they have. I've been walking with Jesus longer than they have. Why, why am I? But the devil, the devil's real goal is to get you to see what the sinners are doing. So here you are getting dressed up to come to church on Sunday morning, and the sinner's home getting ready to go to the beach. They're going on vacation to Fiji, and they don't serve God in the least bit. They just got two brand new cars, and you got duct tape trying to hold your bumper on, and you're serving God every Sunday. Y'all ain't saying a word to me. It can become discouraging. Y'all ain't got to say this to me, but... I ain't, I ain't gonna lie, I've been there, I've been there. You say, Lord, how, why in the world? How in the world they get naked, flipping and flopping, and I'm walking up rightly with you, and they living like that? Look, no, what's something wrong with this? Over in Psalm 73, Psalm 73, verse 2 and 3, David felt the same way as we did. In Psalm 73, 73, verse 2 and 3, David said, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. Come on now. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity. The devil's going to always make sure you see the prosperity of the wicked because he wants you to get discouraged and slip and stumble. Why? He's trying to wear you out. With discouragement. With discouragement. But let's flip that. Let's flip from Psalm 73 to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 verse 1 through 4 says this. Do not fret because of evildoers. This is how you respond to what you see. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Why? For they shall soon. Oh, y'all better say something. They shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither? Well, what am I going to do, Pastor? Trust in the Lord and keep on doing good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness and then delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desire Oh man, the desires of your heart. So I ain't worried about what the sinner has. I ain't fretting over what the wicked man has. My God shall supply all my need, and He will give me the desires of my heart. I'm not gonna quit. I'm not gonna fret. I'm not gonna throw in the towel. It might take time because faith takes time. Oh, but when it manifests. Sit down. I gotta keep I gotta keep going. Delight myself in the Lord, He shall give me the desires of my heart. Anybody having the desires? Anybody having the desires? He shall give me the desires. 
of my heart. Let's go one more place. Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 36 and 37. Because we're talking about how to endure in a hostile environment. So not only we're talking about hostile in the sense of the spiritual climate around us, but the fact that we have an adversary, the devil, who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's not just bothering Christians and Christianity in general. He's coming after you in particular. See, see, the moment you start confessing your desires, he went into action. He didn't know what you wanted till you said it. He didn't know what you were after till you spoke it. He didn't know what was on your heart till you sowed a seed for it. Now that he see you acting, now he's going to get hostile towards you in particular. But why? He's trying to wear you out so you don't reap your harvest. Well, I don't know if y'all grab a hold of that. So you don't reap your harvest. It's your harvest. It's guaranteed. It's sure. But if you get worn out, you can't reap your harvest. So he doesn't just stay hostile in general. Now he gets hostile individually. So the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 36 and 37, it says, For you have need of endurance so that after you have done, come on, the will of God, you may receive, you may receive it, you may reap it, you may obtain it, you may put your hands on what you've been speaking on. You've had your mouth on it. He wants you to put your hands on it. He wants you to possess what you have confessed. Look, y'all hear me. So after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Again, remember we got stuck on this last Sunday. For yet a little while, 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 yet a little while. And he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now remember I showed you that if you got a decent Bible, there's going to be a little mark by that he, by that word he. There's a little mark that it'll say down there that that, that word he could actually be, be uh, written out that which. So we can read it for a little while, and that which is coming will come. That which is coming. That which is coming. Somebody say, that which is coming. It will come. So it is coming. It is coming. It is coming. It is coming. Yet a little while. A little while. Well, what do I do in the while? Because it, the, the little while is the rough part. Well, what you do in a little while is you do this. While we look not at things that are seen. Y'all miss it. So if you're stuck in your while, then don't look at things that are seen. But at things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are not seen, they are eternal. So while you're waiting... Keep your eyes of faith open. While you're waiting, keep your praise up. 
While you're waiting, keep your joy up. While you're waiting, keep your confession strong. While you're waiting, stay out of strife. While you're waiting, don't get discouraged. While you're waiting, because what is coming shall come. And it will not tarry. How do you endure in a hostile environment? Go back to Hebrews 12. Let's get it. Hebrews 12. Let's get it. How do I endure, Pastor? How do I make it when this hostile environment is all around me? Sin everywhere. Opposition everywhere. Seem like those I thought were going to be with me, they're not with me. Things I thought were going to work out, they haven't worked out yet. How do I make it when all of hell is working against me? Well, the Bible gives us these clear instructions here in Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, we also, verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Can you say cloud of witnesses? Cloud of witnesses. Now, what's interesting about this cloud of witnesses is, again, the Bible is not written in chapters. The book of Psalms is the only, only, only book that was written in Psalms. These breaks. But all the rest of the Bible is written in one contiguous just letter. So Hebrews 12 was only, only Hebrews 12 because that's how the translators broke it down. But Hebrews 12 is a continuation of what we read in Hebrews 11. So it's therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what witnesses? He goes through a whole list of people in Hebrews chapter 11 who endured. Who ran a race. Who faced opposition. So you only got to go through and read in chapter 11 and find somebody who went through something that you went through. Somebody who experienced something like what you're experiencing. Because the Bible says they are a cloud of witnesses. Now we like to teach in modern day preaching that these witnesses are in heaven looking down at you and they're saying, yes, oh, go ahead, you can make it. And that's wonderful. They may be in heaven cheering you on. But what this witnesses means is they are witnesses the same way if you were to go to a, a, a hotel and stay somewhere in Arizona and you go on Google and you put a review in that on Google. You are now a witness. And what I do is when I want to search for a hotel in, on, on, on Google, I want to find what all the witnesses said. In other words, they, they are putting their testimonies on Google. So what God did by the Holy Ghost was he put men's testimonies. God has a Google review of his goodness, a Google review of his faithfulness, a Google review of his power, a Google review of his, of his kindness. And these men say we are all witnesses of the goodness of God. And if we made it, you can make it. If we went through what we went through, you can make it. And we made it without a faith seminar. We made it without the written word. We made it without having to preach over us. We, we, we made it without a camp meeting. And if we can make it, you can make it. They didn't have YouTube to go back and watch messages. They didn't have SoundCloud to go back and listen to the word of God all day long. So if they made it, then surely we can make it. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Well, how are we going to make it? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. So number one, how, you, how am I going to make it? How am I going to endure? Number one, lay aside the weight. Tell your neighbor, lay aside the weight. 
I don't hear everybody. Everybody say lay aside the weight. Lay aside the weight. What, what does he mean by weight? That word weight comes from, from the Greek word akos. Akos, which means whatever is prominent. Whatever is prominent. It, it, mean, it means a burden. It means an encumbrance. An encumbrance is something that, that encroaches. It, it encumbers you. It holds you. It is coming on you to hold you. He says, lay aside, I, I don't focus on that part, whatever is prominent. In other words, what's the most prominent thing in your mind? What's the first thing you think about when you wake up? Last thing you think about before you go to bed? Because you're worried about it. He says, if you're going to keep carrying this weight, this encumbrance, this burden, this grudge, this grief, you cannot make it. And people don't understand how much their grief is holding them back from running. Grandma died, daddy died, uncle died, cousin died, and they died around Christmas. And now every Christmas come around, I can't be happy because I'm carrying this grief. And you don't understand that that is a burden that the enemy is using to wear you out. You cannot rejoice in God's goodness because you're carrying around this grief. What grudge are you carrying? I'm going to come over here. What grudge? Because somebody did you wrong and hadn't apologized for it yet. And you think that you're holding a grudge is doing something to them. Ladies and gentlemen, you can drink all the Clorox you want to. It will not poison anybody else but you. So when you're walking around with a grudge, unforgiveness, it's not poisoning the one that wronged you, it's poisoning you. It's keeping you from going where God wants you to be. Tell your neighbor, let it go, let it go, let it go. You better let that go. You, better let, you can't move on with that. You can't run with that. You can't run with no grudge. That, that grudge is a heavy weight. It's a rock. It's a stone. It's a stone on your back. You can't run a race with any longevity with this hard rock, this big stone of a grudge and offense. Lay aside every weight. What's occupying your mental space? Who's living in your head rent-free? Oh, y'all didn't, you didn't catch what I said. I said, who's living in your head rent-free? Who you always thinking about? can't stand them, but you're always trying to find them on Facebook. You can't stand them, but you're always trying to find them on Instagram and see what they're doing. You saying you say you over them and you done, you forget about them, but you can't actually forget about them. They're living in your head rent free. When you have that kind of weight in your life, 
You are being worn out from the inside out. And you can't run with endurance. Psalm 55 verse 22 says this, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. Cast your burden on the Lord. Cast the burden of caring for your children. Oh, y'all didn't catch that. Cast the burden of providing for your family. How many men wear themselves out emotionally because they're worried about providing for their children, providing for their families, and stress themselves out trying to figure out how to provide when God says, cast that burden over on me and I will sustain you. And you wonder why men die so much younger than their wives. Why the cost of life insurance and health insurance is so much more on men than it is on women. It's because men stress themselves out carrying the burden. I don't know. At least they used to. They used to. They used to. I don't know about some of these modern day men just don't even care. But um, they used to be like that where men cared. But in that care, they carried a burden. Paul says you can't run this race with that burden. 1 Peter 5, 7, the Bible says we're casting all of our cares upon him for he cares for you. Are y'all hearing this here? You, you, can't, you can't run when you're weighed down with worry. You, you can't run when you're weighed down with worry. When you're weighed down, always looking back over your shoulder. You can't run that way. The Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious. Help me out. Be anxious for no thing. Well, it's, it, you know, Pastor, you don't know what it's due. Be anxious for nothing. But Pastor, you don't know what, what the doctor said. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, come on, with thanksgiving, let your requests and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts, guard your hearts, guard your hearts from weariness and discouragement, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Somebody tell you, they better let it go, let it go, let it go. Tell them, stop worrying about it. Stop. Jesus said over Matthew 6, he says, he says, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. If you worry about tomorrow, you miss out on the blessings of today. Y'all didn't catch that. I said, if you spend your time worried about tomorrow, you miss out. You overlook the blessings that are right there in your life today. You can't see what God's doing today because you're worried about tomorrow. All kind of goodies and all kind of goodness God's trying to get to you today, but you got all your mind worried about the first or next month. Right. Pastor, 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 but the day is the 25th. The day is the 25th. The first is coming. Yeah, it's going to come whether you have it or not. I said it's going to come whether you have it or not. You might as well praise God in the expectation that it's going to be there when you get 
it's going to be there when you get there. This ain't the first. It's the 25th. Praise God for the 25th. This is the day. This is the day. Oh, y'all better. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice in today. Be glad in today. I don't know how we're going to eat next week. This ain't next week. It's today. Rejoice and be glad in today. This is the day. Shake up all that worry. Because worry will stop your praise. So lay aside the weight. Number two. Number two. Number two. Let go of sin. I said number two. Let go of sin. I said number two. Help me out. Let go of sin. He said lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us or besets us. Why let go of sin? You remember I, I, I showed you last week by the Holy Ghost, Lord gave me unction about uh, the football player, the wide receiver, going off of the pass, being guarded by the cornerback. And I told you what a good cornerback tries to do. One of the things he tries to do is he tries to get that receiver to go out of bounds. Because if the receiver is out of bounds, he's ineligible to receive. And the devil's trying to get you to be ineligible. By getting you out of bounds, sin is out of bounds. So when the devil tries to get you and me over in sin, he's trying to get us out of bounds. And so the Bible says, lay aside the way and the sin that so easily, easily besets us or easily ensnares us, which means the devil knows that there is the sin. Okay? All right? So we know that. We can, we can, that's a dual meaning here. We know there may be for us the sin. But the sin in general, the sin can also be general. So it doesn't have to be just one thing. Lay aside every weight and the sin. And the sin. So in other words, sin, no matter what sin, no matter how much it is, how much or how little sin there is, it will get you out of bounds. So it says, let it go, let it all go. I knew y'all get quiet around on this part too right here. You can, I, I'm going to let my, that worry go, but pastor, that, that sin thing. The sin easily ensnares or besets us. Gets you offset, gets you out of bounds, gets you out of pocket, gets you out of the way, gets you, gets you um, um, out of alignment. And I know in this postmodern Christianity that we live in, people, one, either don't ever talk about sin, or two, have diluted what sin is. Y'all ain't saying much. Because there's stuff that when I was born in 71, that things that we call sin in 71, uh, are, they don't call them sin today. 
But if it was a sin in 71, because your preacher may change, but the Bible doesn't change. My word is forever settled in heaven. And, and you can't change the word of God. So if the Bible calls it sin, then it's, it's sin. Hallelujah. The problem with sin is this. Sin, watch this, weighs on your conscience. Hallelujah. I said sin weighs on your conscience and blocks spiritual confidence. Now, I might only have two or three witnesses in here who will testify that there's been sin you've gotten into. Now, see, I, I, know, I know most of y'all, you, as soon as you got born again, you became perfect, 100%. You've been doing 100% ever since then, but that's not my testimony. It's not my testimony. My testimony is that even after I got saved and started walking with God, even after I started preaching, there were still some things that I found out I, I still had. Let no man say when he's tempted, he's tempted of God, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his. I found out there was some lust that was still. Look how, look how quiet y'all on this side. There was some lust. That was still down in there. I, I, I hadn't, I got saved, but I hadn't been delivered yet. And, and so when I, I found there were some things that were still in there, because the Bible says when, when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. And the only thing that helped me was that, because the Bible says when sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. And God got me out of sin before sin uh, got, all, got, took, got me into death. And so I, I thank God that the sins that I was in, I'm not in anymore. But I found out that just because I walked away, the devil doesn't, doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. Look how y'all looking at me. He doesn't forget those sins that you actually liked. Y'all quiet in this Presbyterian church. See, see, because I know the Bible says that, that in Hebrews that, that, um, that, that, um, that Moses, he, he chose rather to suffer with God than to continue to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So the Bible tells me that sin is pleasurable. Am I right about it? Is sin pleasurable? Yes, sir. I ain't got but one witness here. Sin is pleasurable. And the devil knows how to find your pleasure zone. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And what he does is he keeps presenting opportunity to, for you to um, uh, get aroused in your pleasure zone. <laughs> so some of y'all might be the, the weed. It might be the weed. And, and so he'll, he'll make sure when you got your car, your window down because you bumping Kurt Franklin, boom, boom, you bumping at, 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 the, at the traffic light. Some of us gonna come, they gonna have their window down, and they're gonna be bumping little John, yeah. And they gonna, yeah, they, yeah. And they got, they. And you can't get your window up fast enough and turn off the, re the recirculation button. Trying to get that window up. 
It's still people in this church out the window like that. Why? Because the devil knows your pleasure sensors. And what happens if he gets you into it, then it will weigh on your conscience and block your confidence with God. And if you don't have your confidence toward God, it's hard to run a Christian race with no confidence. Hallelujah. In Psalm number 38, verse 3 and 4. So I want you to hear this. Get, get Psalm 38, verse 3 and 4, because listen, running in sin, listen to this, running in sin is like running in quicksand. I said running in sin is like running in quicksand. You can't go forward, you're only going down. And the more you move, the farther down you go. So that's why he doesn't want us to run in sin. We can't do it. We cannot do it. So we got to lay aside the sin. Notice, notice the effect in verse, Psalm 38, verse 3 and 4. It says, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy. So notice what sin does to your conscience. That's, here, here's here's our, our answer, Romans 6, verse 11. Romans 6, verse 11. It says, therefore, reckon yourself dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. So when sin, watch this, I'm going to help three people. When sin opportunity comes, you got to say, I'm dead to that. Can, 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 you practice, can you practice that? Say, I'm dead to that. I see you, but I'm dead to that. I smell it, but I'm dead to that. I feel it, but I'm dead to that. I'm dead. I'm dead. You got to declare it sometimes out of your mouth. No, the, I'm dead to that, devil. Because you can't entertain the thoughts for a moment. I'm dead to that. I reckon myself dead to it. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says this, awake to righteousness and do not sin. Awake. See, when you have a righteousness conscience, you're light. You can run. Have you noticed marathon runners, even, even sprint runners, they, I mean, it's almost, I almost can't watch track and field uh, because the, men, the women, really, I mean, they, they wearing cheekies and close to nothing. They, they, I mean, what, but what, why are they doing this? They're trying to get as little weight as possible. They're, they want no resistance. So they're not going to run in no big old clunky. You, ain't nobody running no New Balance down on no track. They ain't running the track in no New Balance. No, 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 no. Listen, I, I, I wear New Balance when I go walking. Because they're, they're comfortable shoes for men, you know, when you're a certain, you hit a certain age. You ain't 20 years old no more. You need, you need cushion. You need, you need, you need cushion. It ain't fashionable. I'm going to tell you that. My new balance, they're not fashionable. They are dad shoes just to show. But they're comfortable. 
They're functional, not fashionable. Because I'm walking. But if I were to get in a race, I couldn't wear them, them, them new balance. They're too heavy. Hallelujah. Ain't nobody running no sprint and no sweatpants. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So I've got I've to get this sin stuff off me. I need my conscience clear before God. Give, give me 1 John 3, 21 and 22, media. 1 John, I, I want you all to turn to it for me so I don't turn to it. Re, re, read what it says. Ready? Read. Beloved. Beloved, if now why would your heart condemn you? Sin. So, beloved, if your heart does not condemn you, now you have confidence toward God. And now watch the next verse, verse 22. And whatever we ask, come on. What whatever we ask? What? Now it takes confidence to know that whatever you ask, you receive. It takes a righteousness conscience to, as opposed to a sin consciousness to receive from God. Because if you have a sin conscious, consciousness, you will not approach God with any confidence. When a child knows they, they brought home uh, five D's, an F, and one C, they ain't asking you for nothing, man. They, they, they're not, they're not asking, they're, they're going to know how to hide. They're not about to ask you for, for a PS12. They're not asking nothing. They're not, they barely ask you, can they, can they eat tonight? We're going to eat tonight? We, See, and that's what happens when we have a sin consciousness. So we say, lay us out the weight. Number two, let go of sin. Number three, here we go. He said, look unto Jesus. Once I've laid aside the weight, once I've laid aside the sin, now I look unto Jesus. Notice it says, he's the author and finisher of our faith. What gives him the right to be the author and the finisher of our faith was because he was an author and he finished his race. If he had not come down and finished his assignment, finished his race, he, could, he would not have the authority to be the finisher of our faith. Other words, he's the one to say, I started it, and I finished it, and if you ride with me, if you ride with me, we're going to start it, and we're going to finish it. I'm going to take you from the beginning to the end. He's the alpha and the omega. Come on, the beginning and the end. So it says, look to Jesus, because he's our greatest example of endurance. Notice what the Bible says about him. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So how did, how did Jesus endure? He kept the prize in view. Notice he endured the cross for the joy 
set before him. So rather than focus on the cross, he focused on the joy. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've never seen, if you've never read about the bloody cross, you know that this was not just your, a mama's whooping. This was not your daddy just whipping your tail. This was Roman soldiers who did what they normally did when they crucified someone. Crucifixion wasn't new in Jesus' time. Crucifixion was a normal Roman uh, way of, of death and of torture and death where they would weave uh, these the, what, what the, we call cat nine tails these whips, these scourges, and they would have bone fragments in them that were designed that to, uh, a Roman soldier would stand on his left, on his right, and they both take turns, and they both uh, whip him. And every time they whip, those bone spurs would dig into the flesh, and when they pulled that whip back, it would rip his flesh open. Tied him to a whipping post. And... Just whip him over and over and over and over and over and over. But his eyes were not on the men. His eyes were not on the whips. His eyes were not on the post. His eyes were on the joy that was set before him. He kept his eyes on the prize. He kept his eyes on his assignment. He kept his eyes on his purpose and he endured all that suffering and all that pain to have to carry that heavy wooden cross beam to the cross and have to have nails, these spikes driven into his hands and into his feet and a crown of thorns crushed around his head to be whipped and beaten, to go to be punched in his face, to have his beard plucked out, to go through all that. He endured such hostility for the joy set before him. He kept his eyes on the prize. I think sometimes in Christendom, we, 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 we've not really evaluated the cost of our salvation. All we've heard was salvation is free. And we come and give our hands and give our hearts to God. But don't understand that it cost Jesus everything he had. Everything, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was scourged, meaning he was whipped. And everything you went through, going down the Villa Della Rosa, so we walking in his passion, we carrying and falling under the weight of that cross, his knees being scraped on that road, his, his people being mocking him, those he could look to the side and see people he had fed them, people he had clothed them, people he had healed, people he had delivered, and they're now turning on him, people he had preached the good news to, and they've now turned on him. He's enduring the hostility of sinners. And he's going through all that torture and torment and pain for the joy. How did he get up when he fell? Joy. When they said, if you are who you say you are, save yourself. You have saved others. 
Save yourself. And he could have called a legion of angels to come save him and destroy all those who are the onlookers. But why did he stay there? For the joy. Oh, I wish, I wish somebody in here would understand what your salvation cost that it was an expensive price to pay for you and me to be here sitting in church on a Sunday morning it wasn't just that he came and he lived and he died but he came and he lived and he dealt with the mocking and the persecution of those who persecuted him while he was living but even in his death not only was he persecuted but he was prosecuted and when he was prosecuted they tormented him There's no gas chamber. There's no firing squad. There's no electric chair that compares to what Jesus endured for us. How did he do it? For the joy. Now, you, I, I want you to say something to this here. Because, because I, I, I want to skip forward to something. Let, let me skip something here. Look at verse 3 again. For consider him who endures such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discourage your souls. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted the bloodshed. Y'all ain't sinning. He said, you, you ain't lost no blood trying to get a car. You believe in God for a car. You believe in God for a house. You hadn't bled yet. You believe in God for a spouse. Believe in God for a baby. You ain't bled yet. You're trying to live and walk in this world and live right and live holy and please God. You've not bled yet. In other words, Paul is saying, how you going to quit and you ain't even bled? How you going to draw back and you, you don't have one scar, you don't have one wound, you don't have one whip, you've not gone through anything yet. How you going to quit? And yet he endured the cross. Thank you, Jesus. So he kept his prize in view. Now let me help you with this here. If your goal or your desire doesn't compel you, then your journey will overwhelm you. I'll say that again. If your goal or your desire doesn't compel you, then your journey will overwhelm you. In other words, you better make sure that what you desire is really a desire of your heart. You must make sure that what you're after is really a desire of your heart. Because the moment you start moving towards it, you have an enemy who's coming against you. And he's going to test you to see if you really want this. Lord, I want, I want more, more anointing. Do you really? Uh, Lord, I, I, I really, really want to walk in the gifts of the Spirit. Do you really? Lord, I really want to do great things in the kingdom. Do you really? Because it looked to me like the first sign of opposition 
But if what you're after is really a desire, then come hell or high water, come fire or come flood, you're not going to quit. You're not going to draw back. You're not going to throw in the towel because you're really after something. You got to catch this, ladies and gentlemen. If the, if the eternal life isn't of utmost importance, then the world gets more attractive to you every day. I'll say it again for the heart of hearing people. If eternal life isn't of, most, of utmost importance, the world gets more attractive every day. If you're really not in pursuit of God, his kingdom, and heaven, then the world gets more attractive every day. If your desire doesn't motivate you, the resistance will stop you. If your desire doesn't motivate you, then the resistance will stop you. But Pastor, you don't, believe, you don't understand. I've, I've been believing God for two weeks. <laughs> now you're, just, you're just a champion of endurance. But Pastor, no, it's been two years. Well, praise God. First of all, have you honestly been doing everything you're supposed to do for two years? Secondly, is it really a desire of your heart? Because if God has to remind you about it, then it's not really your desire. Jesus endured because he saw the joy on the other side. In the King James Version, when you see that word, said he endured contradiction of sinners. In other words, the sinners were constantly contradicting him. And when you and I are trying, when we are after what God has laid up for us, you're going to face contradiction, opposition, hostility. But you must have already in your heart and your mind that I'm going all the way. No matter what it costs, I'm going all the way. No matter if, we used to say back in the old days, if mama don't go, if, if daddy don't go, I'm, if I have to go by myself, I'm still, I'm still going all the way because I'm determined. I have a well-made-up mind. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get what God has for me. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to serve God in a way that brings him glory. And come hell or high water, no matter what the devil brings in my life, I'm not going to quit because I have a joy. I have a purpose. I have an assignment. I have a goal set before me. And I'm not turning back. I'm not turning back. I'm going to endure in a hostile environment. I got to lay aside every weight. I got to let go of sin. And then I look to Jesus. My example. And every time I think about quitting, I consider what he endured. There have been times I guarantee it in your life as a Christian that you've thought about quitting your Christianity. 
if you ever face any real hostility from the devil, you have thought about. And I know you said, no, I ain't never thought about it. I've been Jesus all the way. There are times, you, because if you've ever been weary and discouraged, there are times you have thought about. Now, it may have been a fleeting thought you thought about for a minute and got rid of it. But it came. I can tell you, Pastor, there are times I thought about pastoring, quitting pastoring, many times. Probably once every two years. But when I look at my hostility, I'm not talking about people being hostile, I'm talking about the enemy being hostile. And what Jesus endured. This is nothing compared to what he went through. Well, Pastor, I can't say stuff about that stuff you're talking about earlier about homosexuality and all that. I can't transgender. I can't say anything because I might lose my job. Did you look at Jesus and what he went through? And you talk about losing your job. But if I say something, he said nothing so you could say something. As the lamb before her shears were dumb, so he opened out his mouth so you and I could. So we can say it, we can make it, we can do it. I don't care what you're dealing with, what you're facing today. I don't care how much hostility, how much contradiction there may be against you. What God has for you is for you. And where you're going, you will get there if you don't quit. We are in a very hostile time, ladies and gentlemen. Not only against us as the body of Christ, but against each and every one of us individually. Because the devil, listen, listen to this, listen to this. Do you realize every time you manifest, it's, it's, it's part of the cloud of witnesses? Yes, sir. I got three people in the front row. Every time you manifest in the kingdom, it adds to the cloud of witnesses. And the devil wants desperately to keep you and me from adding to that cloud. Because, see, the people in the world don't read about the cloud. Because it's tucked into a book that they won't open. But when they see your life, you and I are living epistles read by all men. Does your Bible call us that? Living epistles? We are read by all men. People are reading you. They're reading you. So when they see you manifest the goodness of God, they can't deny the goodness of God. So the devil wants to keep you and me from ever obtaining the things that God has for us in our lives. But I refuse to quit. I refuse to, quit. I refuse to draw back. 
I will reach my goal, my desired haven, my destination, my destiny. And I'm going to manifest everything God has for me. And I'm going to stand in this evil time. And if no other preacher invites me to their church in this city, I'm still going to say what's right. And if we lose 100 subscribers, I'm still going to say what's right. And if half the church leaves, I'm still going to say what's right. Why? Jesus was a champion. He didn't back down. Jesus took everything the devil had, everything hell had, he took it all. He took it all and still came out on top. And if he can do that, you can deal with those little devils. Those little, little demons that's bothering you. You can make it. Do y'all receive that today? Will you give God a big praise for the word of God? Come on, give God a real big praise if you appreciate him. How to endure in a hostile environment. Father, thank you today for the word that we have received. I thank you, Father, to your people have heard. I pray that, God, this word has ministered to each person as a way of encouraging each and every one of us. God, you know individually everything we're dealing with. You know. You, we know you see the body of Christ and the hostility that's all around us as, as being Christians, as living, as Bible-believing, biblical view believers. But God, even us individually, you know the opposition, the contradiction the devil's bringing against us in our lives to try to keep us from obtaining your promises. Father, today I speak a second wind. I speak a new strength. I speak a renewing of the youth. I speak right now an abundance of grace, an abundance of peace. I speak right now, God, that your people will finish, will run this race. They will finish strong. They will obtain. They will obtain. They will arrive. They will manifest. They will produce. They will see all that you have for them, for us to see. I pray, Father, that God, you'll be a shield and a fence all about us. That when the devil turns up the heat, you, your word says, Father, there is no temptation that's taken us other than such as common to man. But you said with every temptation, you will make a way of escape so that we'll be able to bear it. I thank you that, God, you will not allow the devil to tempt us more than we're able to bear. Thank you, Father, that no matter what he does, we're bigger. No matter how strong he comes, we're stronger. No matter how, how big it may be, no matter how, 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 how torturous it may be, we're stronger. There's something inside of us. Someone inside of us, the Holy Ghost, you said greater is he who is in us than he that's in the world. We will survive and we will thrive and we will walk into our inheritance. I pray blessing upon your people that God as we go out and we come in, we'll experience manifestation and we'll add 
to that cloud of witnesses. Every time we manifest, we'll testify. Every time we manifest, we'll testify. Every time we manifest, we'll testify of your goodness. So the world will know that you have done great things for us and we are glad. Our souls will make her boast in the Lord. They almost shall hear of it and be glad. God, we testify of your goodness. God, help us in the area of sin that we never ever yield to temptation. We never yield to the drawing of the enemy. We don't give any place to the devil. We don't give any opportunity, any room to the devil. We shut him off, we cut him off, we close every door, every window, God, we cut him off now. So he has no more interest into our lives. We guard our hearts with all diligence. We guard our hearts with all diligence, God. Teach us, God, holiness. Teach us godliness. Teach us righteousness, oh God. Teach us consecration, oh God. That our lives may be pleasing to you, Lord. So we'll know and have confidence that whatever we ask of you, we receive. Because we keep your commandments. We always do those things that please you. So have your way in our lives today. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you the praise for it. In Jesus' mighty name. If you agree, watch just shout amen. 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 Come on, give God.